Well, good morning. Please turn to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah, we're going to start in the last verse of chapter 9, so Nehemiah verse 38, and we will read then all of chapter 10, starting in Nehemiah 9 verse 38. Before we uh, pray and read, let me just uh, kind of recap what's going on here. Before Nehemiah was ever born, uh, this man Nehemiah, the Jews had been taken into exile Uh, The Babylonians had invaded Jerusalem. They tore that massive city wall down to the ground, dragged the Jews into captivity into Babylon, where they then remained for the next 70 years. But the king of Persia, Cyrus, then wrote a decree that the Jews could return to Jerusalem, and Nehemiah returned to rebuild that city wall around Jerusalem. And at this point in the book, he's already done it. Uh, Finished it at the end of chapter 6. And Nehemiah is now working to rebuild the people there in Jerusalem. The returned exiles there in Jerusalem are still in a very difficult situation. The city is surrounded by enemies on every side. They're still in... uh, Um, still controlled by Persia. Uh, Back in chapter 9, Nehemiah says the Jews at this point are still slaves. They are still in great distress. And God has now been working through this man, Nehemiah, to rebuild or to revive the people, to to give them hope again and reshape their worship, to to stir them up again to to press into God. Back in chapter 8, Ezra read from the Old Testament law and the people began to see their sin. They began to see that they were still suffering here because of their sin. So then in chapter 9, which we looked at last Sunday, the people confessed their sin to God in this massive corporate prayer. And now here in chapter 10, the people now begin to make some promises to God, promising God that they will now amend or change their ways. That's where we are. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll read. So Father, we turn to your word now. We just thank you for your word. Lord God, you say in your word that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Father, as we turn to the Bible this morning, to your word, we would ask, Lord, simply that you would feed us out of your word, in and through your word. Feed us with Christ, feed us with truth, feed us with whatever it is that we need today. If we need encouragement, feed us with encouragement. If we need hope, feed us with hope. If we need conviction, feed us with conviction. This is your word. We trust, Father, that you will work through it now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Verse 38 of chapter 9. Nehemiah says at the end of this prayer, Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. On the seals, on this document, are the names of Nehemiah, the governor, the son of Hakaliah, Zedekiah, Sariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pasher, Amariah, Malchijah, Hattush, Shebaniah, Maluk, Harim, Merimoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Ginnathon, Baruch, Meshulam, Abijah, Mijamin, 
Meaziah, Bilgai, Shemaiah, these are the priests, and the Levites, Jeshua, the son of Azaniah, Benui of the sons of Hinnadad, Cadmiel and their brothers, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Kalida, Peliah, Hanan, Mekah, Rehob, Hashabiah, Zakur, Sherebiah, Shebaniah, Hodiah, Bani, Baninu, the chiefs of the people, Parash, Pahath Moab, Elam, Zatu, Bani, Bani, Asgad, Babai, Adonijah, Bigvi, Adin, Ater, Hezekiah, Azur, Hodiah, Hashem, Bazai, Harif, Anathoth, Nabai, Magpiash, Meshulam, Hezer, Meshezebel, Zadok, Jadua, Pelatiah, Hanan, Aniah, Hoshea, Hananiah, Hashub, Halahesh, Pilhah, Shobak, Rehum, Hashabnah, Measiah, Ahiah, Hanan, Anan, Maluch, Harim, Beanah. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's laws that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and His rules and His statutes. We will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And if the peoples of the land bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And we will forego the crops of the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering, to bring it into the house of our God according to our Father's houses, at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle as it is written in the law, and the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, And to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. For it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. And the priest, the son of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes to the house of our God. To the chambers of the storehouse for the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. Amen. My wife Molly and I will soon celebrate our 14th wedding uh, anniversary. Uh, I actually met Molly when I was 30. I pursued her for several years. 
was rejected by her several times, uh, which was incredibly fun, uh, but she finally had mercy on me, and we were married 14 years ago, an outdoor wedding in Texas, uh, smoking hot that day, kind of like being married in hell. Uh, <laughs> Molly's sister, Katie, uh, maid of honor, just so happened to be positioned during the ceremony right on top of an infamous pile of Texas fire ants, which was uh, very exciting. Uh, but all things considered, uh, that truly was one of the best days of my life, seeing my bride walking towards me in white on the arm of her father. will never forget it. And one thing Molly and I did that day was make some promises to one another, some vows, declaring in front of all those witnesses that day, declaring our intent to love and honor and cherish one another. I do solemnly promise. And that is basically what the Jews are doing here in chapter 10. They are making some promises, some vows to God. They recognize that they've sinned. They recognize that they are suffering because of their sin. And they now make some promises to God here in chapter 10. We do solemnly promise, O oh God. There's just three simple points I'd like to think about with you today. The first is this. Number one, we will do better. We will do better. You know, if you take everything in the chapter that we just read, all the different parts of it, all, all these promises that these people kind of lifted up to God, it, it all really comes down to one simple promise. We will do better, God. We will do better. You know, there are times when I have to discipline my youngest who's sitting in the back, a little girl, and uh, she will look at me with tears in her eyes and say with her cute little lisp, I am so, 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 so sorry, Daddy. I won't do that anymore. I will do better. And that is essentially what the Jews are saying right here. We are so sorry, God, for what we've done. We will not do that anymore. We will do better. The end of chapter 9 says that the people now make this firm covenant in writing, this handwritten document that we just read right there, all these vows to God, and it was signed by all the leaders in the community. If you look closely at this chapter, you can see that the people here first make just a very general vow of obedience to God. They start out with just one simple big promise to God. If you look at verse 29 again, all the people join with their brothers, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and His rules and His statutes. It's just a very simple general vow. We, O oh God, will walk in Your law. We will do all of Your commandments. And, and a little background can help us right here. 
a thousand years or so before the events in this passage right here, when the Jews were still out in the wilderness, before they entered this land here, in the book of Exodus, God met with Moses on Mount Sinai, and God then gave to the Jewish people a bunch of Old Covenant laws, the Ten Commandments and a bunch of other laws. And God said at that time that if the Jews would obey His laws in faith, well, they would be blessed by Him. But if the Jews did not obey His laws in faithlessness, well, they would then be cursed by God. God, God said this in Deuteronomy 28, 15. He said, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, if you will not obey these laws I've given you, or be careful to do all His commandments and His statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. And, and what were these curses that would come upon the people and, and, and fall on the people if they disobeyed God? Well, God said they would be curses like this. Deuteronomy 28, 25. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. The Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle. They shall besiege you in all your towns until your high and fortified walls in which you trusted come down throughout all your land, in the distress with which your enemies shall distress you, and you shall be plucked off of the land. Those are God's promises for disobeying His covenant laws, these curses. And listen, the Jews now here in Nehemiah chapter 10, as they look back at their history, as they look back at this exile that took place in their history, as they now look at their current distress, even still here in Jerusalem, as they look at all of these things, these people know this is the curse of God's law. This is the curse of God's law. We disobeyed His old covenant laws and we have suffered for it. The curse of His law. And they confess their sin in the last chapter and now, therefore, O God, we now make a firm covenant in writing and our general promise to you, O God, Nehemiah 10.29, we will walk in your law. We will do all your commandments. And the people then, after they make this very general vow of obedience to God, well, they then go on here to make several very specific vows of obedience. They, they basically now just highlight a few of these specific Old Covenant laws that they will now seek to obey. And, and they highlight these specific laws here, I believe, because these were the major issues of their day. These things, these little specific laws that they highlight throughout the rest of chapter 10, these were the issues that the people in Jerusalem were now struggling with. 
And we don't have time to cover in detail all the specific vows there. I just want to point out three of them to you. They are the laws here that pertain to marriage and Sabbath and temple. So we're going to cover just a few of the specific vows that pertain to marriage, Sabbath, and temple. One specific vow or promise that the people now go on to make to God has to do with marriage. They promise to God that they will no longer enter into mixed marriages. They'll, they'll, they'll no longer marry foreigners. If you look at verse 30, they say, We, O oh God, will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons. And what they've done right there, they've just kind of reached back to God's old covenant law that he gave to Moses, and they've pulled out one little part of that old covenant law, and they've stressed it now before God. Back in the old covenant law, God had warned the Israelites, the Jews, multiple times not to marry foreigners. And please hear me, it it wasn't a matter of prejudice, racial prejudice. It wasn't a matter of snobbery. God, like God was just saying, you Jews are better than the other races of the world, so don't marry outside of your race. It had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with idolatry. Because back in the ancient world, when two people were married, they both brought their gods into the family home. You adopted your spouse's gods. You just both put your god's idols up on the family mantle. And God did not want the Jewish people to adopt other gods. He didn't want them to worship him and the gods of their spouses. God knew that, that through these mixed marriages, his people's hearts would be drawn away from him into idolatry. It happened. King Solomon married foreign wives, and his heart was drawn away from God to their gods. King Ahab married foreign gods, or for, a foreign wife, I'm sorry. King Ahab married a foreign wife, Jezebel, and his heart was drawn away from God to foreign gods. It it wasn't that the Jews could never marry a foreigner. They could, as long as that foreigner first adopted God as their only God. Boaz married Ruth, a Moabite woman, but she first adopted God as her only God. Moses married an Ethiopian who first adopted God as her only God. God, but man, when when foreigners, when they retained their false gods and would not give them up, mixed marriages were then forbidden by God. And the Jews at this time here in, in Nehemiah 10, at this time, they're struggling with this thing. Listen, these people had lived in exile for the past however many years. And in exile, they'd been intermarrying with foreigners. And their hearts had been going astray from God there in exile. And even now that they're back in Jerusalem, they're still tempted to intermarry with the foreigners and be led into idolatry. It was a current issue in this day. So Nehemiah and the other leaders now highlight this specific statute from the old covenant law. And they make this specific vow to God. We will not, O oh God, give our sons and daughters to foreigners in marriage. Another specific vow that the people now make here has to do with the Sabbath day. If you look at verse 31, 
And if the peoples of the land, O God, bring in goods or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we promise we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day. And again, they're just reaching back to that old covenant law that God gave Moses. They're pulling a particular aspect out and they're holding it up before God. In the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses, the fourth commandment said that the Jews should honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. One day in seven when they would rest from their labors and they would just trust that God would provide for them. But the Jews back in the past had failed to uphold that Sabbath command. They, they didn't honor the Sabbath day. It was one of the reasons they actually went into exile was violating that Sabbath command. And even now that they're back in Jerusalem here, they're still tempted to break it. The people overworking seven days a week in order that they could uh, attain wealth for, for themselves. And when foreigners would come into Jerusalem to, to buy and sell goods, well, the Jewish people would just buy and sell with them. They're violating the, the Sabbath command, tempted to do that. So the leaders now highlight that specific statute of the old covenant law. We will honor your Sabbath now, O God. And one final specific vow these people make to God here has to do with the temple, marriage, Sabbath, and and temple. You know, God's old covenant law given, given to Moses commanded the Jews to give tithes and offerings to the temple. They were supposed to give money every year. Uh, They were also supposed to give a portion of of their their crops, their their goods, uh, grain, wine, oil. And these tithes and offerings that they would give to the temple, well, those tithes and offerings would then help to maintain the temple. The tithes and offerings would go to the priests and the Levites to support them because they had no other means of provision. And the tithes and offerings would also go to support the worship in the temple. The tithes and offerings were provided for the showbread in the temple and the, the incense in the temple and the, the daily sacrificial lambs at the temple. So God, God wanted his people to give tithes and offerings to support the, the activities around the temple, but the Jews in the past had neglected the temple. They stopped bringing tithes and offerings uh, to the temple. That was another reason for their exile. They began to just focus on themselves, consume all the goods themselves, neglected the temple, and they went into exile. And listen, now that they're back in Jerusalem here, they're still struggling with this thing. Man, they're they're keeping all their money and crops for themselves uh, because they want to get wealthier. They're tempted to do that, not give to, to the temple. They're building their own homes and estates at the expense of the temple. The prophet Haggai, who prophesied at this time, he said this in Haggai 1.4. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, God's temple, lies in ruins? So the leaders here, again, they just highlight this specific aspect of the old covenant law They bring it out into this document, and they just say, Oh God, look at verse 32. We also, God, take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, 
for the showbread, the regular grain offering, and so on. Then verse 35, we obligate ourselves, O God, to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Verse 37, and Lord God, we will bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground. And then look at the end of verse 39. This just caps it off, this promise here. We, O God, we will not neglect the house of our God. We see, oh God, that we did these things in the past with marriage and Sabbath and temple. Oh God, we are so, so sorry for doing it. And Lord God, we will not do it in the future. We promise, Lord God. And listen, you put all that together, all of that stuff, and you really just get one simple promise from these people. We see our sin, oh God, how we violated your law in the past. We have suffered the curses of your law because of our disobedience. And we do now solemnly promise, oh God, that we will now do much, much better concerning your law. So that's the first thing. I want you to see this morning just these people essentially saying here now we will do better god concerning your law but a second thing i want you to see here number two we can't do better we can't do better you know these people here they make all these very genuine promises to god I mean, really good intentions here in, in, in this chapter. Turning their hearts back to God's old covenant laws, a, a re- renewed motivation to obey those laws more carefully. But listen, do you know what we find just a couple chapters later in the book of Nehemiah? Failure. Failure. Lots and lots and lots of failure. You ever make a New Year's resolution? <laughs> oh, come on. I know you have. Uh, I will make some serious changes this year. I will exercise 365 days this year, eight times a day. <laughs> I will not eat even one grain of sugar, and I will purge my entire house of every single carbohydrate. I will do it. And three days later, you're on the couch with a gallon of cookies and cream. (laughs) Maybe next year I'll take that on, but not this year. Promises, promises. And they are all very soon broken promises. And you know those specific vows that we just looked at? Promises concerning marriage and Sabbath and temple? We'll turn over, if you will, to chapter 13. The end of the book of Nehemiah. You remember that promise? The people said to God that they would not marry foreigners which would lead them 
into idolatry. Remember that promise? We'll look at verse 23. Nehemiah says this, In those days I also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them! And cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair, which is crazy. We'll get to that in a few weeks. (laughs) And I made them take an oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? That promise concerning marriage? Failure. The promise concerning The Sabbath, that people would not work or buy or sell on the Sabbath? Look at verse 15. In those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them on that day when they sold food. Tyrians also who were foreigners who lived in the city of Jerusalem. They brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing that you're doing? Revealing the Sabbath day, did not your fathers act in this way and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? That command, that, that, or that promise concerning the Sabbath, failure. And that promise regarding the temple, that the people would give tithes and offerings to the priests and the Levites, they would not neglect the temple. Well, look at verse 10. I also found out that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them. So that the Levites and the singers who did the work in the temple had fled each to his field. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? Man, you, you, you look at chapter 10, this document that they wrote in earnestness. All of these good intentions, all of these promises. Oh God, we will do these things. Promises, promises. And just three chapters later, failure, 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 failure. Man, listen. I think Nehemiah there... He's confronting all over the place in Nehemiah 13. I think he is terrified of all this failure to the point where he's actually cursing and pulling people's hair out and trying to beat people in the line. Obey God's old covenant law. You know why? Because Nehemiah knows if we disobeyed the covenant law in the past, And the curses of God's law fell on us in that type of devastation. If we continue to violate his old covenant laws now, like we're doing right here, what in the world will stop the devastating curses from falling again? And the people here, they start out saying, we will do better. Oh, God. And just three chapters later, we can't do better. Can't do it. 
We want to change our ways, God. We want to obey your law. We want to do better. Man, we know that we must do better to escape the curse of your law, but we just can't do it. We just don't have it in us to do it. Can't find the strength to do it. We are in trouble. And please, please hear me on this. That painful condition there that these people find themselves in, we need to do better, but we just can't do better. Well, well that right there, that is you in your natural born fallen condition. That is the entire human race. We need to do better, but we just can't do better. The Bible says that we have all sinned against God, not not just these Jewish people here. We've all done it, including you. We've all walked away from God, the one who created us. We have violated his Ten Commandments. Multiple times, we violated his other biblical commands. And because of our disobedience, the curse of God's law is actually now upon us. And we are now looking at receiving the full devastation of the curse of God's law in an eternal hell. Uh, According to God's old covenant law, the laws that he gave to the human race on, on, on Mount Sinai, according to those laws, we have not done very well at all. We've actually done very, very poorly. God's old covenant law says to us that we, just like these people here, man, we desperately need to do better. We desperately need to do better. But here's the thing. As soon as you wake up to that in your life and you're like, oh man, you know, I think I lived a pretty miserable life in the past, so I'm going to reverse course and I'm going to begin to do better. Uh, I worked in full-time prison ministry for about three years, and I can't tell you how many times I heard that from the men. Yeah, I did. Yeah, it was a pretty bad life. It, but I'm going to do better from here on out, so that should, should go pretty well for me. <laughs> Listen, as soon as it lands on you that you've not done that well, it, you, you, as soon as you try to do better, you, you try to turn back to God and, and try to obey his, his Ten Commandments. You try to obey His other commands. You know what you find? Failure. Lots and lots and lots of failure. You just keep failing to, to meet the standard of God's, of God's holy law. Man, you, you might want to do better. You might seriously try to do better. You, you, you know that you must do better to escape God's eternal curse that's attached to His law. But you just don't have it in you. You don't have it in you as a fallen human being. You just don't. You don't have the strength to do it. You can make all kinds of great promises to God. I'm going to reform my ways, Lord God. I'm going to amend my ways now. You can make the promises. You know what? You can start pulling your own hair out if you want. Uh, You can start cursing at yourself. You can try to beat yourself into line. And it's not going to work. You just cannot. You can't do it. You cannot tow the line. I need to do better. But I just can't do better. I am in trouble. 
That's the second thing I want you to see this morning. One, we will do better. Great promises in chapter 10. Number two, we can't do better. Tons of failure in chapter 13. But the third and final thing today, Jesus did better. Jesus did better. Do you know that when the book of Nehemiah finally comes to an end in Nehemiah chapter 13, do you realize that those events there in Nehemiah 13, those are the last historical events in the entire Old Testament? Now, Nehemiah is not the last book in the Old Testament. But the events that take place in Nehemiah 13, those are the final historical events in the Old Testament books. Do you know what comes after Nehemiah chapter 13 in history? As far as the Bible is concerned? 400 years of silence. 400 years of silence. Not one thing that happens over the next 400 years in history is recorded in the Bible. You have Nehemiah 13 and then silence. And do you know one of the primary messages that should be ringing in our ears after Nehemiah 13? Do you know one of the primary messages that was echoing around the world during those 400 years of silence? Do you know what it was? Failure. Failure. The failure of the entire human race to live up to the standards of God's holy law. Failure. You know what was reverberating around the world during those 400 years? We need help. Desperately. Desperately. It wasn't just the Jews who missed the mark. The entire human race did. Failed to obey God's eternal moral law. Failed to honor and worship the God who had created us. You know, thankfully, those events there in Nehemiah 13, those are not the final events in the entire Bible. You know, after those 400 years of silence, we read these words right here in Matthew 1.1. This is the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. <laughs> That's fantastic. Failure, failure, failure for 400 years of nothingness. Nothing, no sign of anything from God, really. And, and then the next historical event, the birth of Jesus. Why did Jesus come? 
Here it is, Galatians 4.4 4 says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus came to do what we failed to do. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, was born as a human being and He submitted Himself to the law of God perfectly. Jesus says in Matthew 5, I didn't come to destroy the law. No, I came to fulfill the law. And He did fulfill it. Every last bit of God's old covenant law, He obeyed it perfectly. Offered up a perfect obedience to God the Father. And then he took our disobedience upon himself on the cross. He took our curse upon himself. And man, everyone who now simply turns from sin and just clings to Jesus. Simple childlike faith. You're not a good person. You know it. You you just confess it before the Lord. Lord, I've sinned. I've sinned, but I'm clinging to your son Jesus. Just a simple childlike faith. I believe he's the son of God. I believe he died for sinners. I'm a sinner. I cling to him now in faith. If that is you, the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ is credited to you. God gives you the robes of Christ's righteousness. You are clothed in those robes. And your disobedience goes to Christ on the cross. Your curse goes to Christ on the cross. Removed for good. Galatians 3.13 says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. The one who was blessed, Jesus, became cursed, took our curse upon himself in order that we who were cursed through faith in him might receive his blessings. That's the great exchange. That's the great exchange, and it's simply through faith in Christ. Please listen. Man, that, that, that painful human condition that we find here in Nehemiah, we will do better, oh God, but we can't do better. That is resolved only, only, only in Jesus Christ. You trust in Christ, and God the Father then looks at you, and he says, mine. You are now my child. I have clothed you in the righteousness of Christ. It does not matter what you feel today. If you trust in Christ, you are clothed in the righteousness of God's Son and God the Father looks at you and says, you are mine and I love you now with an infinite, eternal love that will never change, never fade ever, ever, ever. We will do better. We can't do better. But thank God, Jesus did better. The old covenant law, you know what it says to you? You do better. You do better. You do better. But the glorious good news gospel, you know what the gospel now says? Jesus did better. And man, the second you actually believe that, you just receive that truth in your heart and you just... You just cling to Christ. Man, the second you begin to trust in Christ, you rest in his finished work, guess what? You now have God's Holy Spirit in your heart, the Bible says. And you know one thing that means? You now suddenly have a new power to do better. Now, you will never do perfectly. 
uh, in a sinful world with a sinful body. But when the Holy Spirit lives in you, you now have a crazy power to do better in your life, to, father, to follow God more fully in, in your life. The old covenant law commands that you do better, do better or else. But it doesn't give you the power to do better. And the gospel says Jesus did better. And the gospel gives you the power to begin to do better. You find a new power working in you. There's an old saying. Many people think it came from John Bunyan. It goes like this. Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly, and it gives us wings. The old covenant law, it will command you to do better, but it can never help you to fly. The gospel invites you, invites you, bids you to fly, and gives you the wings, the power to do it. And listen, as a Christian, (laughs) you, you don't just have a new power to do better. You have a very different reason for trying to do better. The old covenant, it says, obey or else, or else you'll be punished eternally. But the gospel says, obey because. Because Jesus already took your punishment. Because God the Father now loves you with an infinite eternal love that will never change. Because God the Father asks you to obey. Therefore, you obey. And you begin to obey as a child of God, not ultimately out of fear. Fear of punishment, but out of love. A love for God and a love for Jesus Christ. Jesus did better. Run, John, run, the law commands, gives you neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings. May God give you grace today to trust in Christ. And may you find the power to begin to run after a father who really, really loves you. Lord, we thank you. Your word is good, it's cleansing. Father, we know your old covenant law was given to reveal our sin. By the law is the knowledge of sin. That's why you gave it. It wasn't so we would then make ourselves perfect through your old covenant law. No, you gave your law to show us that we are sinners in need of help. Your old covenant law, the the Old Testament commands were just intended to drive us to our knees So we would turn to you and say, Lord God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And we just thank you, Father, that the gospel, the good news of the Bible says, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He didn't come for good people. He came to save sinners. And the second we're on our knees, just crying out to you for mercy and looking to Jesus in mercy, you give us mercy. And you say, rise, child. And you embrace us. A prodigal son, the embrace of a prodigal God, just embracing his son, embracing his daughter, 
kiss of the Father, the love of the Father. And we might say then, Father, I don't deserve that. And you would say, come into my party. You have a seat at my table. You are my son. You are my daughter forever. Father, give us faith to simply rest in the finished work of Christ. For it's in that, Lord, that we find the power to run after you. Your love for us empowers us to love you back. So, Father, open our hearts to simply receive your love for sinners today. May we find forgiveness at the foot of the cross. May we find your embrace there. And, Father, I know that that then will empower us to run joyfully after you all of our days. Help us, Father, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.